Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Oh, welcome, everybody. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Yeah? I'm just going to do some housework and just reorganize the furniture slightly. I'd like to have some space. You know how it is. How's everybody doing this morning? Yeah? I know it's hot. Okay? I know it's hot. So the fans are going to stay cranked, but I'm going to shout. And hopefully, and we'll, I, I might even stop and give you a chance to just like do some star jumps or just something to like wake yourselves up again. So, um, yeah, as has been said, my name's John. I'm the worship pastor here and a site pastor for our evening service. And uh, yeah, who's, who's, been, who's been joining us for, that, uh, for this sermon series, Identity? It's, uh, who's found it helpful? Challenging? All of the above? Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Um, well, as we start today, I want to tell you a little bit about this man. His name is a slide coming up. Oh, there you go. Anyone know who this man is? Steve Redgrave, absolutely. He is a retired British rower who won gold medals at the 1984, 88, 92, and 96 Olympic Games. After his fourth gold medal, he was diagnosed with, um, with diabetes, which significantly impacted his ability to train. Nevertheless, he ruthlessly pushed through and won a fifth gold medal at the next Olympic Games in 2000. He also won three Commonwealth Games gold, man, gold medals and nine World Rowing Championship golds. He is the most successful male rower in Olympic history and the only man to have won gold medals at five Olympic Games in an endurance sport. Pretty, pretty got a lot going for him. He is, um, this is what Steve said about his training. He said, training at a high level with diabetes was extremely difficult. Training for me was an average 16 to 24 sessions a week, roughly three per day. Uh, in a highly intensive endurance sport or rowing, 90% of our training sessions were endurance-based, holding a heart rate of between 120 and 160 for an average of an hour and 45 minutes, three times a day. <laughs> On average, an Olympic rower eats four meals a day, plus two substantial snacks. Now, some of you are thinking, I could definitely do that. <laughs> but on average, an Olympic rower rows for 170 kilometers every week. Pretty mad. Just try to imagine the impact that that would have on your life. Imagine the discipline that it would take to only eat certain foods, to not allow yourself a cheat day. I'd probably just give up at the first sight of pizza, to be honest. Imagine the endurance, the discipline, and the strength that would take. Now, why am I talking about this? We're not here to celebrate Steve Redgrave, we're here to celebrate Jesus. So let's look at our first passage today, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27. It'll be on the screens, or you can pull it up in your Bible. Sometimes having something in your hands is helpful. It says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games, that statement is important, we'll, just, we'll come back to that in a second. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly, and I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Apparently, he'd seen uh, Rocky before it came out in the cinemas. <laughs> No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, the Apostle Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church and us today to go into strict training of our bodies, our desires, our minds, in a similar way to those top athletes. And to give some context, in Corinth, at the time of Paul's writing, there were these games called the Isthmian Games, which is a bit of a tongue twister. Um, these were comparable to the Olympic Games in terms of popularity and sort of the standard of competition. It would be like the Commonwealth Games coming to Birmingham, not just last year, but every two years, okay? Everyone would have known about them. The games would have had uh, wrestling, boxing, running, chariot racing, and an event called pancration, which is a bit like modern martial arts. 
And the competitors had to take an oath at the start of the event. They would abide by the rules so as to not be disqualified. What does he say in verse 27? Uh, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So Paul's referencing this. And it's clear that Paul's writing would have been relevant and relatable for the people of Corinth. And it's relatable to us today as we think about Steve Redgrave and other amazing Olympians and athletes. In order to achieve the prize, we need self discipline. In our walk through life, we are called to honor God, to strengthen other believers, and to be a light and demonstrate God's love to the world. But unfortunately, as we've looked at over the past few weeks, our natural human desires distance us from those things. And ultimately, we end up trying to serve ourselves and get stuff for ourselves and and better ourselves and fulfill our desires, which leads us and others away from God. So to combat this, Paul is encouraging us to exercise self-discipline over every part of ourselves that desires something that isn't God's best our bodies, our appetites, our sexual desires, our minds, our emotions. Rather than letting all of these roam free, we must train ourselves to line up with God's will. We do this because God is holy. He's loving. He's completely perfect. And our response to him is one of love and complete surrender. It's not, we need to do this so that God will accept us. God accepts us and loves us. And as a result, we desire to please him and be holy for him and to honor him. In this reading, Paul is setting the bar seriously high about how seriously we should take this self-discipline. Just like an athlete training to win a competition and win a prize, we should work as hard to refine our unhealthy desires. And we see this in our culture today, don't we? Many of us are mindful of our physical bodies, you know, or at least we try and take care of ourselves. Maybe we go to the gym, or we watch what we eat, or we rest when we need to. All of these are good things. But could we equally say that we take our spiritual discipline as strongly, as seriously, When was the last time I, you, we, turned away from a bad course of action or withheld from saying something unhelpful or denied watching that next episode of your binge-watching series because it will eat into your quiet time? If an Olympian just thought, oh, well, I'm going to be late for that training session, but never mind, I'll make it up another time. That's not the attitude that an Olympian has. They have to have discipline to get there and be there so that they can... um, be in a position to win a medal, it requires hyper-focus and saying no to distractions and to have a discipline to do what they need to, even when they don't feel like it, even when their desires are elsewhere. And then lastly, as Paul, not lastly my talk, don't worry, that was, that'll be very quick. Um, as Paul points out, these athletes do this for a crown that will waste away. You, you might have seen those images of like Greek athletes with the like, um, uh, branches around their heads, you know? And so that, that, was, that would go off, right? It would rot, it would compost. Um, but, but the state of our, and we, when we do this as well, we, we are mindful of our bodies, but again, our bodies don't last forever, do they? But the state of our soul is eternal. And we should be at least as mindful of disciplining our souls as we are our bodies, if not more so. As Paul says, we are running towards a crown that will last forever. The prize of being a son or daughter of God seated in heavenly places, the prize of knowing Jesus Christ. What better prize could there be? It's important to mention here what Paul isn't saying. Um, When he's talking about only one one runner wins the prize, he's not implying that we're some way competing against each other for God's love. Now, in Christ, everyone has access to the prize. Paul's also not advocating self-harm. When he says, I strike a blow to my body, he's not saying that like, we, should, we should harm ourselves. Rather, he's talking about the desires of the body and what it wants, when those desires are unhealthy and contrary to God's example and desires. Ultimately, in denying ourselves, we are following the example of Christ 
who laid down his own life despite everything in his humanity wanting to find the different way. But he went through for it, went to the cross for our benefit. He knew that he, what he was called to, not self-preservation, but self-sacrifice. And now he calls us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily, and to follow him. And so what does, what does, what does Jesus mean when he says to uh, deny ourselves? Or what does Paul, when Paul says we, we must go into strict training, what does that actually look like? How do we do it? Let's read our pas- next passage for today, 1 Corinthians 10, so just over the, over the page probably, um, starting at verse 23. Paul is writing and says this, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Well, that's a bit of a statement, isn't it? Crikey. That's a big, big one. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Then Paul talks about the morality around food sacrifice to idols, which we're not going to touch on today. Don't have time. But in verse 31, he continues with this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. As Christians, we, are, we might know that we, you know, we're free from the Old Testament law. The, the law that Moses laid out for the Israelites, we are free from that because of what Jesus did. We also live in a, in a Western society which is largely based on freedom. And so we could get pretty close to saying that we have the right to do anything. Now, not quite, but we, 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 can, we can say that pretty close. But Paul says not everything is beneficial or constructive, not just in relation to ourselves, but for the good also when considering others as well. There is a lot that's available to us that isn't illegal and actually is our right. But thinking like that leads us to a position of what can I get away with and still be a Christian? How far can I push it and still be a Christian? Which is quite, if you think about it, it's quite a self-centered and selfish thought process. How much can I fulfill these unhealthy desires and still claim that I'm a Christian? I think we've all had that at times in our lives. Some things like pornography are not illegal. We all have the right to go online and look at whatever we want to, but not everything we look at is beneficial or constructive. Other things like food, sleep, rest, and so on are not actually bad in themselves. Actually, they're gifts from God, right? Someone's like, amen, sleep is a gift from God. But when they reach a point of excess in our lives, or we serve them as gods, we we worry about them, we use them to fill holes, like emotional holes that are caused by hurts in our hearts, desiring them excessively, those things become a distraction, even though that they're good in themselves. A helpful principle to build on is this. Don't just avoid what is harmful, but pursue what is good. If we're just concentrating on not sinning, then we manage to kind of, we, we take, we empty stuff out of our lives and we're okay, okay, I'm not gonna do that, 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 which is a good process, that's important. But what we're not doing is filling the voids that they leave with anything that's healthy. And so we need to seek the good rather than just concentrating on getting rid of the evil. Contrastingly, by determinedly, by determinedly saying yes to what is good, we almost unintentionally say no to what is bad. Let me give you an example. If I say yes to, this is going to sound really holy, if I say yes to spending time in prayer, I say no to scrolling on Instagram. If I say yes to spending time in community with others, then I am less tempted to find acceptance and, else, and, and, and friendship elsewhere. If I say yes to serving in church, my desire to serve myself lessens. 
So it's not, not just about the only things we can say yes to are, are like prayer and serving church, but those are clear examples of how the good of those things almost distracts us in a way or fills, us, fills the void of the bad things that we might otherwise be doing. I read a quote which says this, and it is Old English, so try and follow. Those who allow themselves in everything not plainly sinful in itself will often run into what is evil by accident. In other words, by always following our desires, even in things that are not bad in themselves, we won't build up the necessary discipline to say no to what is actually wrong in itself. Am I making sense? You with me? So you might, your thought process might look like, might look like this. Is this illegal? No. Is it beneficial to, sorry, is it, is, it, is it harming anyone else? No. Is it beneficial to me? Mm, maybe not. You know, I've been through this journey over the last little while of trying to be disciplined with my social media use. I used to quite easily spend an hour or so just like scrolling through Instagram, YouTube, whatever, you know, often at like late at night when you've got into bed, you're not like, kind of the last thing you do, just kind of scrolling, then it's an hour's gone by, you know, just unintentionally, time flies by. And while social media has a bunch of good stuff on it, and it's not evil in itself, it also has a whole heap more of stuff, which is unhelpful, distracting, inappropriate, tempting, and so on. And when I spent lots of time on social media, I got more judgmental, I got less content in my life, and I had unhelpful thoughts put in my brain. And so I just brutally disciplined my social media use. I deleted the Facebook app, deleted the Instagram app, Delete to the YouTube app. I can still access them through my browser on my phone, but it's way less fun. It's like difficult to access, and so I do it less. Also, you know when you like pop up your phone, you're just like, oh, Facebook, boom. You don't even think about it. It's just you're in there, right? And so deleting the app really helped me. Um, I've also set up time limits on certain platforms, so I can't like spend an hour on it accidentally. And also now, lastly, my phone is in black and white. So, so you, so. YouTube, Instagram is super boring to look at in black and white, let me tell you. Some of you are like, I, I need black and white TVs, but now that we've been, now that color has been revealed to us, suddenly black and white is boring. Now for you, social media might not be an issue. It might be excessive food or certain websites or over-exercise or alcohol or anything else. Whatever is taking you away from God or makes you less present to others is a danger for you. We should do the hard work of ruthlessly eliminating those things from our lives. Okay, we're gonna take a breather. Everyone just like have a bit of a shake, just like wake yourself up, you know, maybe some slaps in the face. Don't. <laughs> All back and present in the room. Yeah, take a swig of water. How, what are we on guys? What temperature are we on? Best not to know. 27 and a bit. Hey, people pay a lot of money to go to saunas. We're just here for free. <laughs> We shouldn't just consider whether something is beneficial and constructive for our own good, okay? What, what did Paul say earlier? He said, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And this is crucial for us in the context of Christian community or in the context of the church. When we're all more concerned about each other rather than ourselves, we are all on the receiving end of someone else's good. Does that make sense? By all looking out for each other, so let me say, I, I look out for Ben, and Ben looks out for Cap, and Cap looks out for Hannah, and Hannah looks out for Andrew, and then Anna looks out, looks, looks out to James, and then James looks out to me. You know, we're all seeking somebody else's good, and it's a big old circle when everyone gets cared for. So when we're making moral decisions, we're weighing up, when we're weighing up if something is beneficial or not, we should be asking, what's going to bless those around me? 
It's a bit like in COVID when we all wore masks. The scientific evidence was that the mask didn't do anything to help protect you. What it did is it protected everybody else around you. And so if everybody wears masks, everybody's safe. It's a bit like that. I think you can see me. Similarly, if you're not in community, you have to be selfish for self-preservation because nobody else is looking out for you. But there's a better way. There's a Jesus way. Be fully part of this community. Make decisions on what is beneficial for the community and have the discipline to stick to that decision. Always look out for others and thereby have your own needs met too. So you can join a small group. You can get involved in a serving team. You can just do life with people. Open yourself up to them. Check in on people. So let me ask you today on this hot Sunday, what area do you need to grow self-discipline in? I'm, I obviously don't know all of you, well, and so I wouldn't, and I wouldn't anyway, if I, even if I did, I wouldn't tell you <laughs> what you need to access self-discipline in because it's, it's a personal thing. You know, as I've been talking, maybe something's come to light. Perhaps it's the decision to prioritize your quiet time, even if that means that something else has to be pushed out. Or prioritizing the right course of action in the business world, even if it will ostracize you from those around you, your colleagues and your bosses. Or denying yourself from pursuing temptation. A quick example, I was actually right behind on writing this talk. Honest moment, I was a bit behind and I was trying to like just, you know, bash it out. And then I realized, oh my goodness, I've got a prayer time coming up at 12 o'clock. And he's like, and then at 12 o'clock came and went. I was like, oh, I'll just keep going for a bit more. I'll just keep going for a bit more. And I was like, no, actually, you know what? I've set aside this time to be present to Jesus, to pray. And so I'm going to put my talk to one side and I'm not going to work on it, which was difficult to do because I was like, I need to finish this thing. (laughs) But equally, I was like, you know what? God's got it. He'll get it done in the right time. He'll make the preparation when it needs to be. I've chosen to be present to him in this moment, so I'm going to be disciplined. A quick, silly example, but maybe you can kind of see some of that in your own life too. So what is it for you? A question worth asking yourself is, when do I allow God to prompt me that something I'm doing or have done is wrong? When do I listen for God's prompting? In our big three booklets at the back, it talks about setting aside time at the end of the day to reflect on our days and what we've done. I found the Lectio 365 app really helpful on my phone. It just asks some simple questions that you can prayerfully process. And it really helps God to, like, God is able to say, hey, that thing that you said, that wasn't great. Well, that decision that you made to prioritize that, that's not the one. And so then I have an opportunity to say, okay, God, you know what? I'm sorry for that. Can you help me do, that, do better next time? And just allowing God to prompt us like that is important. So, everyone okay? Okay. When it comes to self-discipline, it's important to remember our why. Okay, there's another Olympian. We don't have a picture of this one, but uh, American Olympic cyclist Kristen Armstrong is a three-time gold medal winner, so she's got a little bit of catching up to do on Steve. But after 12 years, she said this, after 12 years as a professional cyclist and three times winning the gold medal, my success always came back to my why. You have to know why you're doing it. So let's remember our why. This isn't just about being disciplined for the sake of being disciplined. This isn't just to make ourselves acceptable to God. We're doing this to present ourselves as living sacrifices in light of what Jesus has done for us. Holy and pleasing to a God who gave everything he had, even giving his life for us, a gift we didn't deserve. This is the God who is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet exercised discipline and didn't give in. This is the God whose sweat became like blood because he was in such anguish about the death he would die, and yet he exercised the discipline to say, your will be done and not mine, and went through with it. 
This is the God who, because of his great love for us, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, and saved us in grace. I found this wonderful verse that I had never read before. Well, I had read it before, but I hadn't like sunk into my thick skull. This is just a beautiful verse from uh, the book of Titus, chapter 2. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Isn't that a verse to live by? Jesus Christ fully accepts you as you are. He fully accepts me as I are. As I, as I are? Oh gosh, as I am. It is by grace that we're saved. You don't have to clean up your act before coming into the presence of Jesus because of what Jesus has done. And so if you've never fully come to Jesus, I want to encourage you to come as you are. Faults, failures, disappointments, warts and all. You don't need to change for Jesus to love you. But when we accept his invitation and say yes to him, it should be our desire to come before him with our best and to try our best to change for him. Because Jesus loves us, not to earn his love. So if you've not said yes to Jesus, to following him before, and you'd like to do that now, I'm going to just pray a prayer, and you can just repeat that either in your out loud if you want to, or just in your head or in your heart, and you can just say yes to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me as I am. You accept me as I am. I thank you that you died on a cross to take my punishment, my shame, my mistakes, to set me free. And so today, I say yes to your invitation and I ask you to come and live in my heart. Holy Spirit, help me to follow Jesus' way every day. Holy Spirit, fill my heart now. In Jesus' name, amen. So guys, the last words of this series, as this series finishes, let's continue to look at our lives and make changes as God invites us to. Let's be encouraged by Paul's words, which are, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews Greeks or the church of God, and even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. So as we finish today, it's important to recognize that we won't do this in our own strength. We can't. We don't have the strength to do this. It is by, it is through hard work and discipline. It does involve that, but it's not solely by hard work and discipline. Rather, the Holy Spirit is the person, the means, and the strength through which we are refined. And so as we finish, I want to invite the Holy Spirit to come and minister to us. And all of that, all of that being present to the Holy Spirit requires us to open our hearts to him, to lower down our walls without shame and just say, you know, God, you know my heart already. I don't know, I'm trying to hide it from you, but you know what I've done. You know where I fall. But we need to be open and trust that he's not going to like condemn us and 
strike us down dead as a dodo, boom like that. Jesus is not in the business of doing that. The Holy Spirit comes and gently forms us, molds us, moves us to, to better mirror who he is. So shall we stand together? We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. More information on all of these can be found at our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.